Welcome to Unconference, a design plus diversity podcast about diversity, design, and the marriage in between, where we will chat about design plus diversity and all the things related. Whether you are a designer or a design hobbyist in many of its adjacent or subfields, we're here to break down all of the details and solve the hard problems with you. I'm Tim Hikes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Design Plus Diversity podcast. I am super excited with our guest today, Dr. Jen O'Brien, and she is the founder and principal of Double Tall Consulting, specializing in design inclusion and diversity strategies, leveraging two decades of experience in change management. Uh, Jen has uh, guided organizations across various industries through her process. We're talking 15 plus years of experience in the tech field. Jen holds a PhD in human behavior. So, you know, that's really hitting me because, you know, that's where I am with user experience design and focused on gender identity and sexual orientation as well uh, as an MBA in technology management and BA in ethics and human behavior. So I will stop the introduction here with what I've just said. And I just want to welcome you to the podcast. I'm super excited that you're here. Hello, Jen. How are you? (laughs) Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this for so long. I'm very excited about this conversation today. Cool. Awesome. You know, I'd like to start with humble beginnings, just asking people, who are they? Where did they come from? I'd like to know if you came from kings and queens, everything. Let us know the, the good the bad, the ugly of where you came from. And let's start from there. Yeah, yeah, that is such a good way to start, especially considering the topic and how that intersects with design. Um, So I actually grew up in a very middle-class, lower-middle-class neighborhood here in Washington, just outside of Seattle, so a little bit north. Um, And really, my biggest ambition was I wanted to be Batman, desperately. And all the cool toys, all all the things, and just like ah, that's really not going to be a good career track for me. So, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so I, I I accidentally found myself in into contracting, and so just working short term gigs, uh, primarily in aviation, and that led me back to uh, my hometown. And a friend of mine convinced me to take a contract out at Microsoft, and this is back in the nineties, ninety eight, ninety nine, when it was really getting good. And they were telling me, oh, you have to come here. Everybody works all the time. They don't sleep. They have couches in their office. You will love it. And so at that time, I was this relentless type A personality. And so, yeah, I was totally loved it. Um, And I like to say that ruined me for for other companies as well, because it was all about doing your best work and and, and really trying new things out and experimenting. And, And it's okay to, if your experiment fails, learn from it, right? And so a lot of fluidity in the work and a lot of flexibility about what you could what you could explore. And it really was my my first exposure to such a different uh, population, such a, one huge workforce. Right. Mm-hmm. And people from all over the country, all over the world, from all these different backgrounds. And it was just fantastic because you never really knew who you'd be sitting across from at a, at a lunch table or a, a conference room. And uh, that was my first exposure into design and UX and understanding really how people interact with technology and with change. And uh, I I like to say that kind of set me down the track. Ironically enough, I was going to get a PhD to go into UX. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to make that much of a commitment. So I got an MBA and focused on the business. And then, you know, smash cut (laughs) 20 (laughs) years later, 
me getting it anyway. So pretty awesome. You know, so I want to hear more on how you got into designing the LGBTQ inclusion strategies for organizations. I mean, it's very dear to my heart as being a person of color who's also gay. Uh, so being part of the LGBTQIA community, these type of subjects really interest me. So yeah, tell us about it. It was this, it was this really cool intersection, and it was almost almost happenstance. It's like one one single email that changed the trajectory of everything. Um, so I was working at Microsoft, and one of the local organizations uh, here in Seattle, Lifelong AIDS Alliance, was looking for community board members to be a part of their community advisory board for this youth group that was that they just gotten funding for. It was called um, Empowerment, and. I got to work really closely with LGBTQ plus youth and their allies. It was a peer to peer led program. And these kids, youth, young adults, I say shouldn't say kids, um, they would go out into the community and they would talk to their peers about, you know, staying safe and things like that. And it was just fantastic to be able to work with with these youth. Um, and it really shed light on to me around, you know, the resources that they had that obviously didn't exist when I was in high school, but also all the unique challenges that they faced. And so that planted a seed that later developed into when I was getting my doctorate, uh, we had another rash of LGBTQ plus youth suicides and kids were dying. And that that crystallized for me. I need to do something that will, you know, influence the, the conversation. So mm-hmm. I, I looked into the existing research and everything treated growing up as LGBTQ plus youth as a risk factor. So if you were if you were queer and you were growing up, that was an inherent risk factor for you. And I realized we were looking at it the wrong way. So my the focus of my dissertation was healthy influences in childhood and adolescence that led to healthy development later on. And so we could actually spin the conversation and look at it from like if kids have at least one positive adult who supports them enthusiastically, that can change their entire life trajectory. Right. And when I went back to the corporate space, I I realized that the people who were doing diversity and inclusion work, at least in my humble opinion, were kind of doing it wrong, or at least in a very limited framework. So they weren't looking at it like how how the influence of the environment. And and it's that lived experience. It's that day-to-day interaction that really shapes Mm -hmm. the inclusivity um, and and amplifies these diverse perspectives, right? And you can't just do it from the executive C-suite level down. It, it's got to come from everybody. And so I, I found myself accidentally becoming an entrepreneur and I put my shingle out and first I started working with parents. And then I realized if I work with healthcare providers and educators, I would expand my reach. And then it just came full circle back to let's work with, work with organizations and get them to pass the marketing and pass the slogans and pass. This is an HR conversation and get them really into the guts of culture of ethics and inclusion and diversity. So let's, I want to dive further into that. So you talked about a few challenges. What are some other challenges that this community faces and how can other people help in those efforts to try to solve some of those challenges or help the community? Yeah, that's such a good question because one of the, one of the biggest challenges that I run into specific with, with this segment of the population is that um, it's, it's oftentimes invisible. So there's this entire risk reward conversation that has to go within some somebody if they decide if they want to come out at work. Because if you back up all the way mm-hmm. to childhood, right, it's this realization of this is who I am and 
there's a sense of I'm, I'm probably the only one on the planet who feels like this <laughs> because I'm not represented in media. Mm -hmm. My peers are all chasing, you know, whoever. And I'm like, and I have a crush on Kristen McNichol. Um, and now I'm dating myself, but, <laughs> but it's uh, it, the, the unique challenge is that uh, there's again, this risk reward and it, it's this concept of, I hate the term passing, but there's this concept of passing. So if you are presumed to be straight, then you can continue on that way. But then there's also the cost of having to compartmentalize your life and, and kind of shift and figure out who you are in this conversation. And, and that is mentally exhausting. And, and also have to figure out if you're emotionally safe, if you're physically safe in the environment that you're in. Um, and it, this is this is a, a huge problem with with populations that are typically marginalized. Is they're they're seen as a monolith, right? So the LGBTQ mm -hmm. plus community is not just this umbrella LGBTQ block of humans, right? We've got we've got all the different intersectionalities. We've got all the different cultures that that influence and shape, you know, how that experience feels. And what it means to be that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when we break down the statistics and the impact, it, it, it becomes very, very specific around which populations are differently impacted by discriminatory policy, things like that, than, than their counterparts. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that you mentioned passing because in the black community, we, we have a code for passing and we call it code switching. And it, it's, it's a very unique thing because I never thought of that same type of action that we've done plenty of times going from our black culture into a white environment so that we could fit into the culture in these organizations, but also doing that same thing as a gay black man, going in and passing for being straight so that we could have somewhat normalized conversation or that I could be accepted into the organization somewhat without that potential maybe being passed on opportunities because of who I choose to love mm -hmm. or who I am, basically. So I find it very fascinating. I I'd never thought about code switching being used outside of people of color and just going speaking a different language at home and then going to work and being somewhere else to try to fit into that culture. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's such a good example because it is all about who do I have to be to make people either make them comfortable with who I am or make sure that they see me in the lens that I am and not some lens that they think I should be in. And, and there's so many aspects of, of, of who we are as we walk through the world that that we have to change and shift and modify. And it's just it's it's it saps all that creative energy. And if you think about how much of that could go into just being who you are, who I am, going into a conference room and being able to challenge on a on a level playing field um, our counterparts and how we get to that that optimal result or that more innovative solution. Yeah. I think it's definitely something that more organizations should look into just to have real conversations at work to allow people to feel better, come to work as who they are. I know we have lots of laws and things that are in place, but when we start to open up and have these open dialogues where people can voice, you know, more of the things they feel, then you start to get a better understanding of who people are. And then that organization starts to build trust because when we start sharing you know, that vulnerability, that's when you start to build the uh, bigger trust. Then people know that I'm not an angry black man. I'm just really passionate about the issue. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because the message comes very differently. Uh, yeah, it's it's so interesting. I, I So I came up in tech and I was almost always the only woman in, in the team. It did depend if it was five people or 25 people. It was typically me, maybe me and somebody else. And I found that I actually had to let lower the register of my voice to be heard in meetings. Mm. Because if I just used my natural voice and started getting all excited, just like, 
this broad's hysterical. What's wrong with her? She's so emotional. Um, but if I lower the register of my voice, it'd be like, oh, yes. Okay, good point. It's just like, that's what we're conditioned to do. You make me think, oh, I've been in so many meetings with some of my uh, female counterparts at work at many organizations. I'm talking about from Wells Fargo, uh, right now, Worldwide Technology, where I've seen them. They sound differently in a meeting than they do when really it's just out joking. And I've never picked up on, I thought that was just like their professional tone. You know, we're dealing with business. This is my professional tone. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, it just makes me think. I've never thought that it could possibly be that when they talk like that in this tone, they get heard versus talking differently. And it is such, it is such so interesting that you use that word, they're professional because that's what we have to do. We have to put ourselves into this professional way, which is totally inauthentic for me, but it's it's how we're going to be accepted, how we're going to be heard, because that's what the expectation is. Yeah. It's and if you really want to weird somebody out, I used to do this every once in a while if I was bored <laughs> in a conference room back in the day, we could do that. Um, I would actually start occupying more space. Uh-huh. Similar to what my male counterparts would do. And you know, just like take up space and 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 gesticulate. And they couldn't reconcile, you know, because I'm wearing a shirt that's black and pink or whatever. I mean, be wearing a skirt and heels. And they're just like, but I can't. The the body position that you're taking up doesn't match what I expect when you are look like that. Because they expect small and, mm-hmm. you know, this little space is possible. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so let's change gears. I definitely want us to talk about your book. I, I ordered it. So it's on the way. Thought it would be here before this conversation, but I'm definitely looking forward to it because I'm going to talk more about it on stage at the Design Plus Firstly conference. Because I think it should be definitely be mentioned. But it's inclusion as fuck AF, <laughs> a field guide for accidental diversity experts. This book is designed for anyone thinking about inclusion and diversity in their business or organization, and it provides a practical advice on safety and effective leading culture change. Whether you are one person working with zero budget or you have funding and enthusiastic team supporting you in your efforts, uh, there is something in this book for you. On Amazon right now, it has four and a half stars, which means it's really good. And I really want to suggest everybody get out and get, get a read. Because I think it's very important that we read diverse material to help diversify our thoughts. Especially, I think it's very important to support women in their efforts. I'm always buying the next book. Well, I'm always listening to books too. So I probably, I have a little app in which like I like take pictures of the page to listen to it because I'm always in a mood. Uh, but it's an excellent resource that I think it should become part of some of the standard work information that we use. In my organization, they buy books for us to read, such as the Idea Team Player, but I also think this should be something that organizations should read. But enough of me talking, because I do a lot of that. Let's hear more about the book. What inspired you to write the book? I'm picking up that there's three parts, three roadmaps that you talk about when implementing inclusion and diversity initiatives in the workplace. If you can give us a little hint, because I don't want you to give us too much, I want people to get the book. So if you can give us a little hint, yeah, just enough to make it so we go out and buy it. <laughs> just, just enough, just enough, just enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Everything else is like the members only page, right? <laughs> um, so I, I do want to give a disclaimer that, uh, so I, I, I wrote the book and every time I hear the title, I can hear my mom's voice in my head going, Jennifer Carroll, what did you do? Why don't use that title, use something nice. <laughs> and it's, um, 
so my disclaimer is that if you somebody is listening to this and you want to buy the book, but it it, it seems too controversial of a title, um, just pretend that I forgot field guide was two words, and then it's inclusive a field guide. Easy, right? But no, so the, the, the title was actually a working title for a long time. And I realized that, you know, I, I obviously I wrote it in uh, 2019 leading up through 2020. Uh, I ended up taking a lot of the content out because of everything that was going on wrong and all the insecurity and, and civil unrest and everything that just like, I wanted people to have something that they could take and become change agents and, and, and figure out how they could, how they could influence change for the good and how they could act because, right, you feel, you feel a little helpless sometimes. And so I, I decided on going with the title because it's, we've been so polite about inclusion and it's like inclusion, please inclusion. If it's, we have budget inclusion, if it's doesn't make anybody too uncomfortable because we want to slow change. And it's like, no, it's time. No standing on the sidelines. It's inclusive AF. We're just, we just have to be all in on this and, and call it what it is and have these real conversations about why we aren't getting the movement that we need to. Um, but back to the book, it was, and my intention was that I, I wanted to write something. I have been launching projects and initiatives for, you know, over 20 years and I've learned a lot. I've screwed up things spectacularly and I've had some amazing successes, but I wanted to get that out of my head and get it in the hands because not everybody wants to work with a consultant, right? They might not have the resources. They might just not be there yet. And my intent was that somebody who works in operations or HR could be flying to a conference in Orlando. They could walk through SeaTac, see the book at Hudson's, pick it up and read it on the way there. And by the time they land waiting for their bags, they've got notes, they've got action items, they've got, they've marked up the entire book and they're ready to go make some change. And the, the three part really works, walks people through one, why the lived experience is so important in designing inclusion programs. And they're not really programs. This is, this is a culture, but for lack of a better word, inclusive, inclusive policies and programs and, and uh, solutions. But once we move past the lived experience, then it goes into the mechanics of here's what you should think about. Here's how you measure. Here's how you have rollback initiatives and things like that. And here's how you actually design and launch and measure a project or a policy. And then the last of it is the human aspect because we're human beings, we're messy. IND topics can be very emotionally charged when they're rolled out and people have these very visceral, you know, responses based on what their, what their early messages were, what their communities told them about what this means. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's how do you navigate the human aspect of it? And where do you focus your energy so they don't get completely burned out um, and how to actually launch something safely and effectively? So when you say inclusive, and I'm being devil, devil's advocate here. What's the definition are you using? We're saying we want inclusive culture. What are we talking about? Nobody ever asked me that. And that's such a good question because it means so many things to so many people, right? It's like asking somebody to find gray or teal, right? Mm -hmm. It means a lot of different things. So to me, an inclusive culture is one where people can come together and they not only have all these diverse experiences, but they're able to show up as themselves and bring those diverse perspectives and experiences and worldviews into the conversation. So if you're designing a new product or you're designing a new website or you're designing whatever, um, you can say, how would I experience this as, you know, somebody who has um, neurological differences or somebody who has um, it, just a, a different background or somebody who, you know, interprets the world very differently. 
and and understanding that as you're designing that, you're looking at how other people would experience it and how it would work and fit into their lives. And so inclusive to me means that it's not just people who agree with me. It's not just people who, you know, I could geek out all day on, you know, data and IND. It's people who don't necessarily disagree, don't agree with me. People with very different perspectives, but you've got a culture that's safe and trusted where people can challenge each other and get new information and realize that they're wrong about something and and learn and evolve. And, and to me, that's exactly why it's such a component of, of culture and the, and the people that are in that culture. It's just funny. I had an experience exactly what you're talking about. Recently, I was a judge for Adobe's Creative Jam with other the other panelists. They were women. We were judging one app that was a children's app. Number one, I don't have kids. And the topic was social justice. So of course, I'm more in on the social justice part. And then as an app was teaching, it was a heavy hitting app to teach tough subjects on social justice to children. I kind of felt it didn't go far enough because tough subjects to me were police brutality and different things like that. But as the women who were also judging, they were like, no, this went, this was perfect. You don't get that deep with kids. I didn't know because I don't have kids. But having that, each of us from different cultures, one white woman, one, I think she was Latino. I didn't ask her. I should have asked her. And then you have me. And we was able to have that discussion. And it really did sway my judging different way because I was thinking differently. And it really helped. This is an example to where difference in where we come from, our experiences, especially with me not having kids, really helped a particular team, helped my outlook on that to go a different right. You know, I can say that I trust them and that let's vote this way on this particular subject. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's so interesting that you use that example, because it's like, if you were, if you didn't feel like you could safely express yourself about this doesn't go far enough, then it could have been just like this very banal pedestrian feel good about releasing it, but really doesn't have any change in, in human beings. Um, and yeah, that's the thing is being able to say that and being able to point counterpoint and, and iterate on it until you have the right solution. One other thing I wanted to hit on, and I'm sure you might have, I'm just asking you without preparing you for it. We always get that inclusion in organizations is a really good thing. It helps them perform better. What are some statistics around it? Yeah, yeah. And I am I, I am a business major at heart and I am a data geek. And so I love studies. I love tearing apart the methodology and like seeing seeing how they got to these answers. And uh, the short of it is, is that there, we need more research in the space. And the reason that it's difficult to measure is because we're humans and how do you how do you do that? I mean, you can do organizational studies and you can look at attrition rates and things like that. But I always position it like, regardless of the industry, organizations and businesses should look at it like, how much are they investing in research and development and, and their business model and, and staying ahead of the, the consumer demand? They should apply that same rigor to having an inclusive and diverse and equitable organization. Um, because it is so a few years ago, probably four now, four or five, uh, MIT, Harvard Business Review, and a few other companies came out with um, these studies around diverse teams and why do they work so well. And study after study after study, every measurable data point, they performed better, they were more cohesive, and they had uh, better, more creative solutions. The difficulty, though, is that only happens when they're in that safe and trusted environment where they can challenge each other in a healthy way. Um, the other way that this shows up that a lot of organizations don't think about is the number of consumers and potential employees that, they, that they're that they driving away 
because they unintentionally have some exclusionary language or you go to their hiring page and it says, oh, we're very diverse, but everybody on the board is white <laughs> or a white man of a certain age, right? It, 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 everything speaks. And so they're, they're not looking at how they're losing out competitively because they're just not able to, to stick the landing on that. The other way that it shows up is employee engagement and retention. Because you see a lot of burnout, you see a lot of people that just can't keep showing up and fighting the fight and being compartmentalized. And so talent has a choice and and, and people will leave. And so to me, it's really specific about which I, li- I like to get into the, the company or the organization and really dig into the guts of their story, like an anthropologist, right? Like, how did you get here? <laughs> how, how do you think the problems are manifesting? And then figuring out what's really going on. For those that are taking the too long, didn't read option with some of the things that Jen just said. You mentioned the Harvard Business Review doing an article on it. And so it's a quick Google that you can pull this up. And one of the articles is Why Diverse Teams Are Smart by David Rock and Heidi Grant. And within the article, they mentioned a McKinsey 2015 report on 366 public companies. And it found that racial diversity in management was up 35% and they were likely to have better financial returns. And then when they started to add in gender diversity, they saw an improvement of 15% and they most uh, saw more returns on it. So this is really showing that diversity and inclusion and being having these inclusive inclusive environments really do help your bottom line, helps improve the money that you're getting back within your organization. It says globally, they analyzed 2,400 companies and that were yeah, so I'm trying to read and talk at the same time. Let me stop. <laughs> you're, you're hitting the notes. You're hitting all the notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To the fact that she's saying, yes, there's research out here that shows that organizations do perform better when they take these take this into consideration, being more inclusive, having more diverse environments. And I know it's such a tough issue for people to talk about because the first question they ask, how do you do it? So Jen, like, how do they do it? Where do they start? Number one, I would say get the book, but asking Jen, how do you, how do you do it? It it goes back to, and I am a huge fan of therapy. I think everybody should go through therapy, get therapy, just because it helps you be a better person and, and more aware of what your, what your baggage is. But really with organizations, it's the same. It's a collection of humans. So they have to do the internal work and they have to figure out what, what are they, who are they, how did they get there and what are they solving? And oftentimes it's just the basics of learning language, learning how to, how to make sure that your clients are represented and your employees are represented in your brand. And that, you know, it's, it's an end to end life cycle process. Like exactly as you're saying, this inclusion and diversity is so critical for success, but if it ends up being just lip service, it has the opposite effect. So one of the examples I love to use is um, uh, Delta Airlines and United. Several years ago, they introduced the option of a gender non-specific indicator during the booking process. So if I'm making a reservation, I, I don't have to check female and male. I can check typically it's an X, but it's not disclosed. And that's huge. And that's huge. And it's, it's great visibility and it makes the experience so much better. But you think about the end-to-end systems of that. Every system that needed to be changed to intake new information, every gate agent, every customer service rep, everybody who had to be educated on why they were doing this and what it was, because at any single point in that system, it could fail. And if it fails, it's worse It's worse than, than not doing it at all, in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, it, it just... You start with it, start with the stuff you can see, 
and then go out from there. And don't feel like you have to be an expert on everything. I, if I am working on a project and I need somebody who is an expert in the lived experience of disabled humans, I, I bring them in because I can't speak to that example. You know, I, I don't know what it feels like. Um, so yeah, find your experts and bring them in. And never underestimate the amount of change that one person can make. Okay, so this has been very fun. And uh, now here's the last segment. I just want us to really talk about how people can get in contact with you if they want to ask questions. Because what they do is they like to send me emails and then I have to forward them on to you. But what I would prefer is if they just contacted you directly. So how could they contact you if they want to talk with you more or just learn more about yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So uh so I can be contacted at uh Jen at doubletallllc.com. It is an unfortunate number of L's, I understand, but there was another double tall <laughs> consulting when I started and there isn't now. And that's not like Game of Thrones. I made that one go away. I guess that's Highlander. Um, and mixing my metaphors. But no, so uh, but my webpage is double tall LLC. Dot com. If you Google double tall and keep hitting L's, you'll find me. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. That is where I connect with a lot of people because then, you know, we can talk and if people have questions about your background and things like that, um, I am absolutely open to conversations, brainstorming, connecting with other humans. I, I'm always happy to connect and, uh, and, and share whatever wisdom I have in my brain. Okay, there you go. So one last uh, second that you have here, if there's anything you want to leave us with, any words of wisdom? Oh, I would just say with everything that's going on right now, keep the faith, be kind. You have no idea what anybody else is going through and never, never, never underestimate the amount of change that you can have as just one individual doing the right thing. Keep filming, keep showing up, model good behaviors. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jen O'Ryan, I want to thank you so much for joining me here today. It has been a pleasure. Lots of really good information. Please, you guys, you can listen to this four or five times. There's so much that you can take away from our conversation here today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. And I hope I'll hear from you guys in our next podcast. Please don't be afraid to send me any emails. You know, I enjoy it all, even the bad stuff. It creates a way for me to learn. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day or night whenever you are listening. (laughs) And that is it for Unconference. Please subscribe to Unconference wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss a single moment. And give us a five-star rating and review. You can also give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Unconference Podcast. You can also follow me individually on Instagram and Twitter at Timothy Hikes. And then you can follow the conference at designplusdiversity.com. That's designplusplusdiversity.com.